0: Today I'm speaking with Francesca Spector. Francesca is the author of Alonement, How to Be Alone, and absolutely love it. It was a Times Book of the Year in 2021, and she's the host of the Alonement podcast. Most recently, she is the writer of The Shoulds, a Substack newsletter and community examining the hidden rules and stories that shape our lives Francesca, welcome to Morning Person Newsletter. Thank you
1: so much for having me. You know, I'm such a huge fan of Morning Person Newsletter, and it's so great to be speaking with you and your audience.
0: And I sort of came across your newsletter by kismet. I came across it because I saw through Substack that you had recommended Morning Person, and then I started looking into it. Of course, the title of it immediately captured my attention, the shoulds, when so much of what I've been writing about on my newsletter is this idea of all the things that we should be doing. And that's something that I'm constantly thinking about.
1: Well, we're absolutely kindred spirits across the sea from each other. I think we were just looking into the same ideas, writing about the same
0: ideas. That's exactly how I felt. And I also want to highlight the discrepancy of where we are right now. I'm in Portland, Oregon, and I just... You know, immediately before joining on to this video, I feel like my hands are still numb because I was outside trying to get my dog who will hopefully behave during this entire podcast to run out and sort of get all of his energy out and... You're in Lisbon and you've been there for a month and you just extended for another month. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing there? And um is your home where is your home base normally? Is it in London?
1: Yeah, so normally I'm based in North London, uh near mm-hmm. near Camden, uh quite a common uh, common tourist spot to visit. And mm-hmm. I decided to come away. So I um had been hanging out a lot with my friend home and we were doing we both love travelling, but we were just sort of doing tourist-esque things in London. So one day we went cold water swimming and obviously we're both feeling a little bit insane and we were sort of just chatting about how we were going to get through autumn in the UK where it tends to be quite Mm -hmm. bleak and Tom mentioned that he'd been thinking of moving to Lisbon for a couple of months. Uh, We're both writers, can both work remotely and uh, I just hopped on the bandwagon really and It's just been a really lovely place to live. And especially because I've been setting up this new work project, The Shoulds, and it's a little bit cheaper to live here. I rented out my flat in London. It's a very nice lifestyle. It's very relaxed.
0: It's just been lovely. I'm really high-fiving kind of past self on this decision right now. Honestly, you're an inspiration to me. And I was just telling you, I have a cousin who just moved to Lisbon, and I've been wanting to go and visit her and stay with her. And so... I feel like, okay, this might be the sign that I need to go do this, hearing about your fabulous time there. But I wanted to sort of jump in and talk about your book, Alonement, because after reading your newsletter, I immediately went and you were kind enough to send me a copy of your book and I dove into it. And you write in it that you came up with this term, Alonement, fresh off of a breakup in your 20s. This is sort of this term that you invented, but it makes perfect sense. What is Alonement? Absolutely. So
1: I don't know how many people listening to this will relate. I suspect about half of people. So the half listening that are extroverts might get where I'm coming from. When I say that I went through my whole life as an extrovert thinking, okay, time with other people. I'm one of these lucky sociable people. So I never really need to make time to be alone. It's not my default mode. And, you know, we live in a world where, being sociable, having social skills is, is, is very congratulated. And yet I, when I went through a breakup, I was 27 at the time, uh, soon to turn 28. And I went through this period of time where I was living alone. I was uh, in a stage where a lot of my friends were in relationships. So we weren't sort of hanging out in groups doing sort of single girl things very often. Um, And I, was spending more time by myself than I'd done so before, and I thought, okay. Initially, my solution was the plan A: go on all these dates, uh, fill my time up. I was working at a very sociable American company. I was at Yahoo uh, back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of happy hours, and just you know, be around people all the time. That's the natural, normal way to get over a breakup, right? And I think it, it happened actually in November twenty twenty eighteen, and as i went through that kind of november december period it increasingly it was fun but i was like this isn't really sustainable and maybe there's something a little bit problematic with the fact that i can't really just sit with myself and and be alone and process this big thing that happened this big life-changing ending of a relationship that you know i thought was going to be my full stop i thought was going to be marriage and it, you know it ended for good reasons but it really ha- it made me reassess things and i realized that i needed to create a safe space in myself a safe period of time in my week where i would be alone and i'd do those things that they tell you to do in the personal development literature i would do mindfulness i would do journaling and i would just come back to myself and the thing is there really wasn't a way to describe this journey to my friends. The more I said, "Oh, I was alone at the weekend," they'd be like, "Oh, poor you. You know, I'm I'm so sorry you're going through this really depressing, bleak time." And I was like, "No, no, no. I've really been trying to do this in a sort of intentional, healthy, positive way." Uh, and in the end, mm-hmm. I was like, "Well, I'm a lifestyle journalist. We invent words for something. I'm going to have to give it a name." So, you know, fast forward January 2019, I wrote this blog post at the time on my uh, sort of now defunct um, old blog. Um, And I I said, Mm -hmm. I'm going to start practicing alone month. That's what it's called. Uh, And if you need a definition, that's it. It's the opposite to loneliness. Fast forward. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, I love this idea of putting this positive spin on spending alone time because this is this thing that I've been dealing with right now. Also, where so much, speaking of the shoulds in your newsletter, there are so many ideas around being alone, being something you shouldn't be doing. Like you should be going out on a Saturday night. You should be spending time with your friends There's something that feels as someone who spent Friday and Saturday night alone this weekend. There's something that even when I'm enjoying myself and I'm like, this is exactly what I want to be doing. It still feels inherently sad because it's like, Oh, I should be going out and doing things with friends, but putting this spin on it of alonement as this almost like positive kind of solitude. This time that you get to spend with yourself is just this idea that I love. And it also sounds like it takes, I mean, for me, at least it's taken a lot of practice to even begin to be comfortable with it. So what did this process, I mean, you mentioned uh, journaling and mindfulness, but what did this process of really being able to sit in this alonement look like for you?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I've I've been really enjoying following along your journey with this as well because it it is a process and it's it's not even a linear one but Mm -hmm. I think initially for me I really thought baby steps Uh, I thought what have I in the past you know if I can think of the off the odd occasion where I've actually been okay alone that mostly was doing things like journaling because I am a writer and I that was what came naturally to me. I kind of was in the flow. Mm-hmm. So I was almost distracted by it, from the fact that I was scared of being alone. And so I started just doing that kind of daily, pretty much. It was, it was, I don't do it daily now, although I should, and but I do, you know, I, I try and keep it up as much as possible. And I think it was something that helped me become a friend to myself, I think I it kind of, it, it was just that baby step, that safe space. And I think that, you know, often we talk about the theory of these things, but sometimes it's just by doing something day after day that you kind of, you, mm. you kind of take away the fear of it. And so as I was practicing yeah. this in my spare time, I then started thinking, okay, well, what can I, you know, what can I progress to? You know, what's, what's level two of this? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, you know, and this is something I recommend in my book. I say that, you know, never one is just finding a safe space, even if that's in the confines of your own home where this can be okay. But then I thought, okay, what, what do I like doing with other people that i quite like to be able to do by myself? Um, mm. and one of them was, uh, you know, I always just remember how, uh, my ex, My ex-boyfriend and I had very different sleep cycles. He, like a normal person, liked to lie in at the weekends. I was like an excitable puppy, you know, 7 Mm a.m., 8 a.m. I I liked to get out. And I started making Mm -hmm. my Saturday mornings, and they still are to this day, my alonement space. So, you know, I'd get up, Mm -hmm. go for a walk or go for a run or whatever, do some exercise, and then go out for brunch by myself, just take the paper, um, treat myself, and not have this panic in my head about, you know, if someone saw me, because I'd just be like,
0: well, I'm, I'm doing me, you know, again, it Mm -hmm. kind of helps having this words for it that I sort of invented completely. Oh my gosh. There are so many things that I want to respond to. I don't even know what to talk about first, but I was thinking about this yesterday because I have really felt like, okay, this is my first time I was with my partner for 10 years. I'm 30. Now this is my first time ever living alone, being alone and, any kind of respect like even when I was with a partner I was filling up all my time with other people and most of the time I'm okay with it. But yesterday I was walking my dog around my neighborhood, which is a really like family friendly neighborhood. And every, all these families are going out to brunch. And I would even see like somebody going and picking up a dozen bagels at the shop and feel this pang of like, oh, they're going home to a family and I'm so alone. But being able to reframe this, I ended up going and sitting and getting a cup of coffee. And it at first it felt like I don't belong here. Like the people who are with other people are the people who belong here. But as soon as you do it and you just sit and you just say like, I'm having this alone time and it's still glorious, even though it's just me. There's something that's that's really freeing about that and it allows you to enjoy it. Absolutely.
1: And I think it's aspirational as well in a way. I mean, I don't, I don't really believe in saying one is better than the other. You know, I like to think- mm-hmm. That being in a healthy relationship that's right for you at that point in your life is is great. I like to think that, you know, parenting, if that's a choice that you want to make at some point, that's mm-hmm. a great fit to be in. But I also think that a lot of the people in those situations will be looking at you in the cafe and thinking, oh, gosh,
0: if I could have a free Saturday morning to myself, that would be totally. glorious too. That's the other thing I catch myself making all these assumptions about these people. I'm like, oh, this, you know, even the the person who's walking with two cups of coffee, I'm like, oh, they're probably going home to their partner and are going to have this glorious morning. And it's like, I don't know anything about them. Maybe they drink two cups of coffee in the morning and they're addicted <laughs> to coffee. Like, I don't know anything about this person and I'm already assuming that because I think if they have a partner, that they must be more complete. And this is sort of what you you literally dismantle through your podcast. And I wanted to bring it back to your podcast because you've interviewed so many interesting people. Um, you know, Alanda Botan, which I'm probably saying completely butchering his name, but I do love his novel. Um, is it On Love? I read it uh, yeah, recently, so but, is it um... stays On Love, yes.
1: I think it might have a different title in the States, mm-hmm. so I need to check that, but...
0: That's a good point. Um, and Johan Hari. And I was just wondering, you know, in having these conversations of these experts about how they find joy in being alone, are there any big takeaways that you've sort of taken for yourself through these conversations? And you've now been having these conversations for a year and a half, two years now? Mm, um, getting on for three, you know, it's uh, oh my really okay. it's been great. Yes.
1: Yeah. Wow. And swimming, about 65 conversations. It's It's so Mm. lovely. And I think that, you know, when I started out this podcast, uh, because this was a natural progression, I think, from me having sat with and thought about an idea personally for a while, spoken about it with my friends. And I realized, look, Mm. this has to be bigger. You know, this has to be something that I'm doing uh, as a a hobby and, and then my career, you know. I wanted to have conversations with people from all life stages, not just Mm -hmm. single women in their late 20s and 30s, as much as that's a really key demographic. And Mm -hmm. I, I have had a lot of conversations, with those people also people, you know, who are married, people are, you know, different stages of their life. And, you know, with children, and it's amazing to hear that alone month is something for either they have and they cherish, uh, and honestly, consistently, the thing that happy couples have told me is that the secret to their relationship has been that space, that you know, mutually sort of respected mm-hmm. alonement. It was just, it was just very important to me to have that. And I think even just by having that diversity of of people of age, of life stage, of relationship status, it really showed that this was something universal. This wasn't just something that you had as a sort of God as a backup option because you have to in a certain life stage. This is something you cherish. But I think that it would be very hard to narrow down uh each of my favorite takeaways, but I think I'm going to I'm going to cheat and and go with um I'm I'm going to pronounce it Alain de Botton, not necessarily because that's right, but I,
0: I think it's um one of those names I've heard pronounced different ways. You're all geographically the closer to France, so I'm just gonna go with your pronunciation. Yes, wow. over my college French. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the thing that he said and this this really got me thinking um quite early on was the first podcast episode I did, I did with him he said it's not it's not the being alone that's a sort of magic bullet it's not just taking the space to be alone you've got to really think about what you're doing when you're alone and i think it mm-hmm. made me really i don't know it, it made me think right there's got to be a sort of Skill set around being alone, and 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 later on, I I found this amazing researcher, um, Dr. Virginia Thomas, who I mentioned in my book, and she came up with this term, solitude skills. And I thought, ooh, Mm -hmm. okay, so it's not just being alone that's the magic bullet. You've got to really think proactively about it. And I've realised that actually, I, I don't know what it's like in the states. I imagine it's the same on the on the sort of curriculum for, for, for primary school they've got you know social skills so you know obviously mm-hmm. learning how to you know do your alphabet do your numbers yada the other but also it's you know how to work in a team how to play in a playground no one ever mm-hmm. says okay are you able to sort of sit by yourself take a few breaths lose yourself in a book feel comfortable when mm-hmm. seated in a public space alone no one teaches you that and i realized mm-hmm. right well that's got to really be brought as something that we—I don't know—maybe an adult education and adult learning is something we've really got to embark on. Yeah. So,
0: what do these solitude skills look
1: like? Absolutely. So, there's um a few that a few that Virginia specifically identified. One of them is basically just the emotional regulation. So, kind of like I was talking about, you—you know—the first step is to learn to be comfortable with your own thoughts, even if it's just at home. So, something like meditation breath work journaling um and you know uh, you you listen to this and think you know it's probably people listening to this will think okay yeah well yeah this is all the stuff we're told to do but i think it's the it's the being alone part and and why that kind of key and and part and part of it that i think is not really mentioned very much in the sort of personal development literature and content um and i think you know once you've got that as the sort of cornerstone uh there Mm -hmm. are things like Seems paradoxical, but being able to communicate with the people in your life that you're taking that solitude. So, you know, being able to say, say you're a parent, mm-hmm. being able to say, you know, like, mummy, daddy's having some alone time now, or, you know, I'm just, I'm just you know, I'm going, mm-hmm. um, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm just sitting, being quiet, and in that being c- respectful conversation. Or, God, I mean, you know, to be able to say to your partner, um, I'm just going to have a little bit of space without. Slamming a door and getting into an argument, which is, of, yeah. which is the, the 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 thing that happens when couples aren't able to say that, and then it just uh, you know escalates to its logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, being a, being able to do that respectfully, so you know that that conversation, uh, because we don't want to alienate our loved ones. You know, alone ones at the heart of it. it. Has to be kind and considerate. Um, and then mm. things like uh, you know exactly what you'll do when you're working on a relationship with a, a friend or a partner. You know that taking quality time, so you know scheduling it in your diary, planning ahead, mm-hmm. um, because you know it's, mm-hmm. it's human to be like to look forward to things. There's there was a study that said that the actual health benefits, the, the mental well-being benefits of a holiday. They actually start two weeks before when you're planning it. So same same with planning time alone. So putting that in your diary, finding out what you're gonna do, planning it ahead. They're all useful skills.
0: I mean, I love hearing you say that. And it is so interesting, because I think it's this distinction to make about being, being alone, but also being able to be comfortable with your thoughts is so important, because it's one thing to be alone, but to be really distracting yourself, you know, like I have to watch a lot of TV shows and read a lot of books for my job to be able to review them. But it's not really being alone in the same way that sitting and journaling and truly like forcing myself to cook dinner without listening to a podcast really feels like being alone there's a different or even going for a walk and leaving my headphones at home is is this totally different skill that takes away that distraction that some of that media can kind of provide us to soften this flow of feeling so alone mm. sometimes yeah and it's funny I
1: mean I don't I, I guess I, I you know I I think it's it is subjective you know I think that mm-hmm. sometimes Uh, You know, for instance, listening to a podcast while you're walking, you're still thinking it can quite often trigger your own thought Mm -hmm. processes and you don't have to give anything back. So It's not quite the same Mm -hmm. as, you know, being on the phone to a friend. It's still... It's still, alone months, I think. It's just, it's, I, guess, I guess, they're true. all sort of different sort of forms of it. Almost, uh, th- I'm
0: thinking of it as almost different levels, where like a hierarchy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. But, you know, the way that you were describing this ability to sit with your thoughts is having that as this foundation so that you are comfortable with, you know, I think that that enables you to be able to go for a walk with a podcast and be okay and be using that less of a distraction, but more as like just an enjoyable activity, like something that you want to be doing.
1: Absolutely. That intentionality is so important, I
0: think. mm mm-hmm. So I also wanted to talk about being single. You sort of came to alonement through a breakup, but you write in your book that being single is not the same thing as being alone. And I was just sort of wondering why you find it so important to make this distinction.
1: Mm, Well, you know, it's so funny because I, you know, I have friends who say to me, um, oh, you know, I was telling my friends about alonement and they said, Oh, what does she never want to get a boyfriend? And I think it's, mm. I find it quite funny because um, you know I can act, you know I can say in my own life I, I'm at a period where I am actually looking, um, you know, for a partner or, or for something a bit more long term. I, mm-hmm. I spent the first six months of this year on a dating hiatus, literally so I could travel without feeling guilty about it. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's so funny how we conflate those two things. I think it's a shame because I think uh, you know, as I say, like what I've done through the podcast is talking about aloneness as a sort of universal thing that would benefit all life stages and something that's really mm-hmm. beneficial to relationships. Um, and yet we kind of say single and alone, and we can plate them like they're bad things. And I think both are wonderful things, but they're not the same. And you know, the way mm-hmm. the way I sort of describe it and the way I think it probably comes across most easily is that. Being single is like it's this it's this petri dish. It's this opportune moments to be able to spend a bit more time alone because you you might spend more time alone if you're if you're single if you're you know if, especially if you're living alone not necessarily but especially in that scenario um, and that's a really great space to think okay um, if I have a night in alone what what would I cook or what TV show would I watch or you know what would I like to do with my spare time and then you can. Mm-hmm bring all that stuff into your relationship and be mm. it's like having your cake and eating it. Isn't it? You get both things. You get to live your most authentic life, uh, within, you know, within a loving relationship, if, if that's what you're looking for at that time in your life. And I think it was actually, mm-hmm. you know, it was having conversations with my close friends who said, you know, yes, this is something that I'm working on actively in my relationship. I was like, ah, right. Mm. This doesn't need to be, Yeah, this just doesn't need to be a plan B associated with being single. This is something that we should be talking about in every stage. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, even in my book, I've got a whole chapter on relationships and looking at couples who've managed that successfully.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost it emphasizes the importance of the self-sufficiency and also to avoid becoming fused or codependent in your relationship, that you have this sense of self that's strong enough, even if you're in a relationship or not in a relationship. And one of the terms that I love that you brought up in your book, I think it was the philosopher Elizabeth Brake, who you mentioned, who had this term of a um, and this idea that like, so you define as promoting the importance of a central romantic relationship above all else. And I think that so often that is a trap where we maybe don't work on ourselves enough and work on, you know, our sense of alonement and um, our sense of being able to enjoy ourselves alone, because there's this idea of, well, as soon as I find a partner, I'm not going to have to do that. I'm everything's going to be solved, and I'll be good. And it's sort of this fairy tale ending.
1: Yes, um, and I, you know, I love that um It's funny. I, I have come to a point uh, where I no longer think that a romantic relationship is a happy ever after. And and then there is, as someone who you know grew up watching rom coms and uh, writing listening to love songs but you know I think I was I was writing a lot of a lot of terrible poetry and I think country country romance songs when I, you know, when I was when I was 10 11 years old I was I was that that person and I always thought it was the answer to everything I've got parents who are happily married and I do believe they're soulmates and yet I think that it isn't the solution to all your problems I think that it's so much more exciting in another way Perhaps in a, in a calm way, in a, in a sort of in a more balanced, sort of eyes wide open way. It's so much more exciting to look around your life and think, right, where is the love? How, what kind of, you know, how, how much can I stretch friendship? You know, what can I get more out of friendship? Or maybe my relationship with uh, my parents could, could change and, 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 you know, we could develop a more, I don't know, mature adult enjoyment understanding of like, you know, you know, our conversations and we can work on all of these things, you know, even loose connections, you know, meeting, meeting strangers. Can I be a better conversationalist? Can I be a better listener? Life becomes so much richer when you almost give up on the happy, happy ever ever after as a, as a kind of secure all solution. And maybe it's, maybe it's a romantic, um, in a sense, but I I just think it's romantic, I think it just extends the the idea of what can be romantic. And I think that, yeah, the you know, the amateur normativity phrase is so interesting because it just it touches on an assumption we all make. You know, we we uh, even, you know, in a completely well-meaning way, I'm I'm away in Lisbon having a fantastic time. I'm meeting all sorts of people um, and doing all sorts of things. Yet the first thing my friends will ask uh, some of them is, you know, have you been on any, any dates? I've been on lots of dates, they've been fantastic, but they've also done lots of wonderful things. And mm-hmm. I think yeah, it just it just sort of spreads the it spreads the enjoyment, it spreads the richness of life when you give up on the happy ever after.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, instead of having it be this, as you say, cure-all, this sort of end-all, be-all to everything, it can be part of what makes you whole. And I mean, I, this is the perfect segue because we're heading into the holiday season. I'm speaking to you. It's the week of Thanksgiving in the States, and this will go live in the middle of December. So it'll be right before we're heading into Christmas. And so often the questions that um, you know relatives ask are, is there anybody special in your life? Um, are you going to have kids anytime? soon, you know, I'm about to head into Christmas for the first time without somebody at my side. Um, So I was wondering if you could sort of speak to even how to navigate those questions or maybe even the upside to being single during the holidays and maybe why such an emphasis shouldn't be put on those questions.
1: Oh, you know, you you and I both, and I think it's a little bit different as well, isn't it? Because we've had a, a strange mm-hmm. couple of years where we might not have got together on mass as families, and um, you anyway, know, some mm-hmm. some people might be freshly navigating this for the first time, even if this isn't the first year that they're single. I think it's interesting. Um, the first point I want to make is on on those questions, um, because I and this might sound like a segue, but I'll get there. I saw on Twitter um a few weeks ago a friends of mine was saying, oh, you know, it's a real shame because I've had a baby recently. And the first question everyone asks is, are you sleeping okay? Are you really exhausted? And she said, why can't people ask me what I'm enjoying about the first, you know, Mm -hmm. the first year of having a baby? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes when people ask these questions, it's very easy to, to feel threatened by them. And I do, you know, I think I've been at family parties and I've been absolutely astonished at the amount of people who've asked about my love life before I've even taken off my coat or that kind of thing but sometimes we're just a bit lazy with the questions we ask each other I mean I don't know Mm. if it's the convention in the states I think it probably Mm -hmm. is it's quite universal you know the first question is how are you what strange question and then no one really gives the proper answer um Mm -hmm. you know I I'd, I'd almost rather ask someone I don't know uh, what's their favorite color? You know, what what do they eat for lunch? Something, you know. We sometimes mm-hmm. we just ask each other boring questions. We don't mean it to.
0: Oh, to I couldn't or... agree more. I actually, I recently saw. There's this sort of touring show that I'm a huge fan of in the States called Pop-Up Magazine, where it's almost this lecture series that visits a couple of different cities. And and one of the writers who I saw recently was the writer Chanel Miller. And she was her whole conversation was about the questions that we ask each other and how we're often just asking uninteresting, boring questions where. You know, she was talking about a friend of hers is a teacher for kindergartners. And the first question she always gets is like, oh, my God, how do you do that? Like, how exhausting to be a teacher for kids that young. And she's like, well, the questions that I want to be asked are, how are these kids seeing the world right now? What is the really interesting thing that kids are doing these days? How like what where is their curiosity? She's like, there are so many interesting questions that people could be asking instead of just saying, Oh man, is it is that the worst to be chasing after kids all day? Yes.
1: Oh my gosh, wouldn't mm. that be lovely? And you know, even to turn mm-hmm. that to being single, wouldn't it be lovely if the first question was, Wow, you're single. Like what's your favorite thing about being single? Like what's what yes. you know the favorite thing you've done this year? Not and not not like not even just a dating context, but like how has that mm-hmm. been great for you? That's a big change in your life. What's yeah. let's celebrate the good. Um mm-hmm. It would just be lovely. And I think, you know, you can do that a little bit. I think I've started you know, occasionally, um, you know, I've had it where um I've actually had this with my mum. I've had a bit of a chat, um, where I've said, Look, um the you know, my the sort of love of my life and soulmate is kind of my best friend rachel you know (laughs) and i kind of i like can you ask how she is like when we chat because you know Mm my uh that's 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 my special someone and i know that sounds Mm. a really strange maybe slightly spiky thing to say but it's not it's just i want to talk about the joyous loving relationship that i have in my life and the things that Mm. we've done recently rather than you know I, i again you know I think if I'm dating someone for a few months and I'm really excited about that, like, I'd love to speak about that, but sometimes I think, you know, in the early stages, we just don't know. And that, that's not to say that the other person's not worth talking about. It's just that we're all fragile little humans working it out. And I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, so I think that, so the thing on questions, yeah, you, you can sometimes direct the conversation. Um, you can sometimes just go in a little bit armored for it. The thing that I found really wonderful was having lots of you know making um either deepening friendships with people who are single or making new friends i've done both over the past three years and that hasn't made me less close to my friends in relationships it's just given me more um and i've obviously got more space for those relationships because i haven't got an all-consuming romantic relationship i think that it we you know so we can reflect on this stuff because it is you know it is something that's difficult and i think you know in the same way that god forbid if you're having you know if you're struggling to get pregnant with a partner or if you're having relationship issues or you know we all have our our burdens we all have our secret struggles and, and they can be hard too and i think that any life stage where you feel lonely and it or you're struggling with something that's hard so i think that you know mm-hmm. it's nice to yeah i had i remember you know after the christmas season i went for a very long walk with a wonderful single friend who's got lots of amazing things going on in her life and we just we just had a long talk a chat about it. And we just unburdened mm-hmm. after. So, you know, it's, 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 it, it's not, not possible to not have these obstacles, but, but they are mm-hmm. true of any life stage, I think, over the holidays.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because I understand why people ask these questions. They're curious and they're excited. And obviously the questions that I'm going to be receiving are a little bit different because I'm going through a separation. So I feel a little bit like I'm walking into, you know, my family gathering with sort of a scarlet letter on me where, It's they all know my partner, Jonah, incredibly well. And the fact that we won't be there together, it's going to be very, very obvious. And I don't, it'll be interesting to see what kind of questions they ask, but it's, it's true. I I'm hoping for this balance between. Yeah, I want them to be curious about what's going on and I'm happy to talk about anything, but also this emphasis on like, what are you learning about yourself? How is school going? How is work going? How's your book or your friendships going? Like these things that are outside of this romantic relationship that obviously is a humongous part of my life right now, but mm. yeah, exhibiting this curiosity about other elements instead of it just being about the romantic relationships.
1: Completely. And I think the wonderful thing that, you know, you've got, going on is that you've got so much going on. I think that if we do spend, Mm. you know, if we do when we're you know, when single, if we do spend our whole time dating and trying to, you know, find someone, that's that's a hard space to be in. It can be wonderful, it can be very fun, but it's also hard. And it's not you don't necessarily want to talk about something that might make you feel vulnerable or uncertain when you meet up with people. So, you know, alone month, you know, the the, the way that you've really rocked living alone in so many ways, and that you know that you've done so many wonderful things. Good and bad. Just, sometimes I rock
0: it, sometimes I don't rock
1: it. Well, that's that's true. That's true of anything, isn't it? That's true of any. <laughs> (laughs) Mm -hmm. any life stage Mm -hmm. and it's just uh well you know we're coming back to a matter of normativity that's Mm -hmm. it's it's i guess we're all sort of we all sort of internalize it so that you know that's the reason i suppose people will be asking about romantic relationships first sometimes because they'll think Mm -hmm. okay that must be you know maybe you know maybe they might be scared to, to imagine themselves in a situation where they they lose their partner because they think, What will I do? They just don't have the received knowledge. You know, I think even mm-hmm. you know, as a woman, um, particularly, you know, there was no way to be happily single. There was no single positivity movement. There wasn't that triumphant mm. time. Um, you know, Beyonce wasn't wasn't thinking about things like when yeah. um when our you know our parents and our mothers or you know grandmothers were, were younger But, so, you know it's it's almost there's almost a way in which we can sort of educate and lead the way a bit with that. Mm-hmm. We are mm-hmm. a first generation of women doing that.
0: Absolutely and I want to talk about so we spoke briefly last week and I sort of talked to you about what are the things that you're interested in talking about. And you pointed out that this idea between Christmas and New Year Twixmas is sort of this perfect time to actually like celebrate and embrace this alone time. Can you tell me a little bit more about why you feel that way and how you embrace this alone time and that that sort of holiday in between? i love it yeah so
1: absolutely so you know the christmas period is lovely like it's really nice to spend time with family but it is very overwhelming um and you know you are a little bit maybe hyper aware that you make ask the odd question whatever mm-hmm. but then it's all it's all over in a couple of days right as you know good the bad and then you've just got this period where you're like well i'm very because the lone month thrives on balance right when we've had lots of time with other mm-hmm. people you then sort of get a bit of a craving for yourself is the only way i can describe mm-hmm. it craving for that alone time and i think okay i'm going to lean into this so i sort of mm-hmm. you know i go back to my fat, um and i i quite i quite like to have a bit of a routine over that time and my routine involves taking myself off the cake at 3 p.m and <laughs> cake and a cup of tea because uh, you know and i mm-hmm. just sitting there and and journaling and reflecting and having a think about the next, the coming year. So I would have just come back from Lisbon. I'd be sort of thinking, you know, I'm self-employed. I'd be thinking about work for the next, the next year, but, you know, but also the things that, um, you know, I want from my lifestyle going forward. So, you know, I've, I've, you know, been getting ideas here. I've been thinking, Oh, you know, I really want to be part of a community yoga class, like kind of create that because I like you come from an area where actually quite a lot of, Um, you know families and kids and actually I want to sort of find my single community within that I will be thinking about all these considerations um, but I'll just be asking the questions I think I I tend to look up the you know journaling prompts and sort of end of year journaling prompts online and I just sort of write myself a bit of a list of questions um, which is funny it's almost just like very cheap therapy but it's, it's not just therapy it's I reflect on the past year um, I think what was good about that. What do I want to sort of take more of into the next year about that? And you know, I then think about almost give myself closure for the past, and then in the, you know in the kind of successive days, I'll be thinking about the future a bit more. You know, it's, it's sort of um, there's a book called Designing Your Life by I think uh, Bill Burnett and Bill Burnett and, and someone else, but it, it's basically the are Stanford professors who basically look at life design is the sort of design thinking problem that, you know, they think, how do I engineer the life that I want? And I guess that's what I'm doing in that space by the sort of 31st of December, I've got a really clear idea of how I want the next year to look. Um, you know, and I'll sort of come out with two words for, for this year, it was sort of creativity and community were the things I really wanted to bring into, <laughs> bring into, well, bring into, you know, bring into this, um, this year. And then on the thirty first, I sort of think, okay, I want to give that back to my friends a little bit. So I run kind of private between you know, there's like ten of us. Maybe I think there was past time I did this. I I will do a, a guided journaling session on Zoom because uh, you know we're all in different places. We might be with family and not everyone's together, but you know the beauty of virtual virtual communities, virtual connection. And I just you know it it, it takes like what sort of forty five minutes I think in total. We just all sit and journal together. Um, and and do those questions. And I think it just becomes this beautiful, reflective space. And, you know, you might go and have a very hedonistic New Year's Eve. You might not. That might, you know, that might not be what you enjoy, but you definitely wake up on the first thinking you've got some sort of idea how you want that year to look.
0: And I love the intentionality around it. Even what you describe, you know, sort of making yourself like a slice of cake and a cup of tea and just having that date at 3 p.m. every day to really sit and just have that time of journaling. It's like, even that idea is just so appealing. And then you have sort of five or six days of being able to really sit in that. And then by the time you come to your friends, you've, you've been able to reflect a little bit and have an idea of how you want to approach the new year. Because I think I have this love-hate relationship with New Year's resolutions because on the one hand, I love having a marker of renewal and of an opportunity to sort of reflect and reframe what's important to me and what my priorities are moving forward. But so often I feel like the resolutions that I make come from external pressures. You know, so many resolutions are like, lose weight, exercise more, do X, Y, Z where this act of journaling gives you the opportunity to really actually reflect and say, like, what are the things that matter to me? And what do I want to bring into the next year or leave behind? Absolutely, and I think
1: that's the, that's the sort of thing about looking back on the year as well, looking at the past and thinking what was great this year, what energized me, what made me feel creative or happy or connected um, mm-hmm. and I think you know you said a really wonderful thing so we were we were kind of comparing this to the idea of the shoulds, which is um, mm-hmm. you know the the things that you feel that you should do, and how often um shoulds are the sort, those sorts of external things and I think you said that you know the shoulds the new year's resolutions are kind of like you termed it in a really wonderful way but kind of like the height of
0: the height of shoulds it's the oh yes yeah. when we were talking on the phone I think I called new year's the at the patron holiday of shoulds yes that's exactly it
1: uh, <laughs> and I think yeah it's mm-hmm. and so I think doing a new year's reflections it kind of stops them being shoulds as much and actually mm-hmm. more sort of more coulds, more you know I, I kind of they're sort of rebrands of things you're excited about potentially introducing um mm-hmm. but they're not it, it becomes different because it doesn't it's not just a load of sort of yeah external pressure that you've sort of internalized and written down because you think that's gonna uh, that's gonna make it happen and the, the, that you kind of say thinking think you should do but without really much intention behind it which of course makes you more likely to Bail at it, and then, and then berate
0: yourself over it. It's, it yeah. Yes, exactly. And it's interesting because sometimes the resolutions do look like what I've been externally told to do. Like maybe my resolution will be to exercise every day, but I try to only make resolutions like that once I've actually had time to reflect and make sure that it's internally motivated. Like my reason for exercising every day is that it puts me into a better headspace and I know that I just feel better when I do it. And so, you know, going into it from that perspective versus. Oh, I'm I should ex- I should get 30 minutes of cardio every day or whatever they tell us to do. Yeah. But reflecting and coming at it from this place of like, no, this is something that I want to do because it is good for me. And I know that it's good for me. Mm. Um, but I also, okay. So before we close out, I want to talk to you because you also brought up this idea of solitude dates, which I love. And you know, it sounds like the cake and the tea and the journaling is like a perfect example of a solitude date, but are there any other things that you like to do during this Twixmas time as sort of a solitude date? Ooh, so I actually,
1: I have, as I say, I, I become a sort of bit of a creature, a cozy creature of routine um, mm-hmm. during those days. Um, and uh, ooh, there's a, actually a solitude skill I wanted to mention that I do sort of introduce in, which is a solitude skill with balancing alone time with time with others because i'm too much of an extrovert to spend loads and loads of time back to back alone so i do actually plan a walk with a friend or one thing mm-hmm. on those days to balance it out um that's a bit of a caveat but that is uh something i wanted to mention because in that space it, i don't want anyone to think that they have to spend five days alone. yeah it, it, it's still mm-hmm. allowed you know there's no there are, there are no rules just the rules that you sort of mm-hmm. listen to yourself and make up but i think something that actually and you know this is the could this is the sort of thing that I haven't done it in the past, but I'm quite excited about the idea of London's a little bit more empty during that time. People go away. And I love the idea of going for a very fancy solo lunch somewhere. Maybe I'm thinking so. countertop dining is really good as a, as a solo person because you can walk into. Oh, and I, I did this actually in Colombia. I walked into the most popular restaurant. I think it's called the uh, in Cartagena um, and there was a huge queue and I said, Do you have any spots for one? And they just walked straight in, ate at the counter, actually met a woman next to me and then made made a friend. But
0: <laughs> so I think I'd do that. I did that. I was in New York recently and I did the exact same thing. I was <laughs> going to lunch at this popular spot Fuvet. And on the weekends they're so there's a line. And you know, the host came up to me and I said one and they said, Oh, of course, right away. Oh. Yeah, streamy. Yes, uh,
1: I'm totally. Gonna have to do this in, in your honor. Honestly, this is we'll mm-hmm. have to sort of do this and then just you know FaceTime each other and well. yeah. It's not again. There are, you know, there's no prescriptive way of doing it, but you just think mm-hmm. you know, who am I? What do I? You know, what do what do I like to do? And you mm-hmm. know, I think you know, probably a lot of people listen to this are the same. You know, I really like having you know, I really enjoy food. I really like reading. Um, how wonderful to go and do both those things uninterrupted mm-hmm. at a really lavish gorgeous spot you're really treating yourself mm. you're really telling to yourself that you are you're worth it you know not to not to sort of rip off yes. L'Oreal's tagline too much but yeah I think I think I'll sort of you know there's a really gorgeous spot called Padella in um in mm. London Bridge so I think I'll go there take a really lovely Christmassy book like maybe I think I always love stuff by Dickens like a like a Charles mm-hmm. Dickens novel or a like a juicy kind of a crisp, like a rom-com book yes take with me because that you know again just indulge in that romantic side of me big bowl of pasta mm-hmm. lovely christmas reads kind of an un- uninterrupted hour to myself on the agenda
0: oh i mean you just made alone sound so appealing that i'm already <laughs> like where am i taking myself to lunch today forget the holidays like Right now. that just sounds so perfect. Francesca there. I was so, I was just so immediately taken by your newsletter, the shoulds and by your book alone. Men. it just, I felt that it's so, it so spoke to me in where I am in my life right now, going through this separation from my husband and learning how to embrace this alone side of me. But also I think it would speak to so many people, to um, people who have families and need that alone time. Um, you know, fellow extroverts like we are. So I just, I so appreciate you creating this content and for coming on to chat with us about it.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Leslie. And, I, you know, I'm loving everything that you're doing. You know, I loved your post about living alone. It gave me so many ideas. And I think that's it. It's just, making this all look aspirational Mm -hmm. and and lovely and fun and exciting because it's, it's a space, it's a time to be so excited about and the more that we can share and, you know, and create that together and talk about it, the more we can just inspire each other in our alone month because, you know, I think that, um, you know, Eric from the um, said this, Mm -hmm. Eric from said, you know, love is is the protection of each other's solitude. And if we can do that as a community, then we can create Mm. something really beautiful and, Life affirming, I think.
0: Oh, I love that. Well, Francesca, I hope that you have the most wonderful next month in Lisbon. I'm going to be reaching out to you for all of your recommendations and all of your favorite spots to go and eat alone and walk alone. Um, But it was such a joy to talk to you this morning and I guess for you, your evening. So thank you. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day in the States.